By 2050, an estimated 135 million people worldwide will have dementia. This week's clinical review looks at the importance of making a timely diagnosis in dementia and how early interventions can be beneficial. We've split this podcast into two parts, this one concentrating on the diagnosis and management and the other focusing on a carer's experience of Alzheimer's. I'm Sophie Cook, Clinical Reviews Editor, and to discuss these issues I'm joined by Louise Robinson, GP and Professor of Primary Care at Newcastle University, and Sue, who cared for her mother when she was diagnosed with dementia. Louise, can you start by telling us a bit about the scale of the problem? Well, you know, as you've mentioned, Sophie, dementia is a major, um, not just health, but, but social and global issue. Um, it's age-related illness. One in 14 people over 65 currently get it. But as we know, our populations are rapidly ageing. Life expectancy is increasing by two years uh, for every decade. So the, the more older people there are, in theory, the more people living with dementia there will be. So when we talk about dementia, why is it important for us to diagnose dementia early? I think the key thing is that dementia is a long-term illness. Uh, and like many long-term illnesses, like diabetes and arthritis, there is no cure. We haven't as yet found a cure. But what we do know with a lot of chronic illnesses is that there are both drug and non-drug treatments which can help people um, with some of the symptoms they experience from the illness, but can also give them information uh, and empower them to, to make decisions to live a, a better quality of life. Um, Getting a diagnosis of dementia can obviously be quite distressing, uh, like being told you have cancer or multiple sclerosis. But on the whole, we know that for the majority of people, they'd rather find out sooner that they have an illness like dementia so that they can access appropriate treatments, uh, they can warn their family and their friends. It might also reassure them because they may have been worried that they had something more frightening, like a, a, a brain tumour that was going to you know, cause them to die in a, in a very short space of time, but also allow them to plan ahead and come to terms and adjust to living with a long-term illness uh, and hopefully access the, the treatments and support that is, that is available to them. Dementia can be something that a patient recognises in themselves or also carers or relatives might notice changes. I just wonder if you can give us some tips for primary care physicians on when we should start to consider this diagnosis and how to go about investigating. Well, I think the key thing to say is that it's not always just memory related. So people can present with difficulty finding words, with their communication, uh, People who, ha who are very highly educated may notice difficulties with, with quite complicated things, you know, like, for example, um, Skyping with their family who are living abroad. So it can present in a, wide, in a wide variety of ways, but it's usually around difficulties with memory, difficulties with communication, and also perhaps difficulties making decisions about things that they would normally not have any problems with. They may... Um, forget things within the house or they may be experiencing difficulties in their job uh, and I think the thing is, is to keep an open mind. Also we know that as we get older everybody experiences difficulties with their memory, normal age related uh, memory loss and I think it's about bearing in mind that it can be normal but also that if it's starting to have significant impact on that person or cause them distress 
beyond their normal activities of daily living or their normal life that we should be more suspicious, especially if their family members and, and friends are also worried about them. You mentioned in your review that there's often a reluctance to use the D word, dementia. When you're seeing somebody who is concerned about their memory, how early on do you think it's important to address this? And, and what, would you, what would you say to clinicians about how to go about this sensitive topic? I think, incre- uh, interestingly, over the, last, um, over the last decade, certainly initiatives like the um, National Dementia Strategy and the Prime Minister's Dementia Challenge have undoubtedly raised public awareness. I certainly get patients coming in routinely to me now saying, Doctor, actually, I'm really worried I might have Alzheimer's disease. My mother had it and I'm worried I might have it. So patients are using the term dementia, terms like vascular um, like vascular dementia or Alzheimer's disease much more frequently than they used to. Um, I think the key thing is to start to is to think that it's no different to something like cancer and that 20 or 30 years ago we would be reluctant to use the term cancer and would use very nebulous words like a growth uh, and now that that you know the cancer uh, the cancer communication has really become come full circle and we're very open about it and certainly my experience is the sooner you start using the actual words um, then the sooner that people get more comfortable uh, and introducing the D word, dementia, uh, quite early into the consultation, such as what are you worried, you know, what are you worried your memory symptoms might be? Are you worried it might be something like dementia or Alzheimer's disease? So this is even before you've referred the patient for assessment and investigation. So introducing it early on and discussing what they feel about those words, what they mean to them, whether they have any personal experience, is usually a very good way of setting the scene and beginning that open and honest dialogue. Once that dialogue's open and you think about referral and investigations, what would be the pathway? So what what would you recommend is done in primary care? Um, I think in the UK... um, General practitioners have clear national guidance on what their role is, and that certainly includes, one, firstly establishing that the patient has symptoms that require further investigation, and that it's not just due to normal age-related memory loss. Uh, And we do that by not just talking to the patient, but but ensuring that we talk to their spouse or or a family member who knows them well and can corroborate the fact that actually, you know, things are not quite as as they used to be. The next role for us is to identify whether there's a treatable cause for the person's problems, because not all memory loss is due to dementia. It may be due to depression. It may be due to illnesses like thyroid problems. And so it's important that the GP does some basic blood tests, uh, maybe a chest X-ray or a heart recording if we think if it's necessary. Uh, and increasingly these days, some general practitioners can also directly organise a CT or an MRI scan to exclude a potential brain tumour or other significant uh, neurological problem. And, and the reason we're doing those is to say to, to find out whether there's something that we can treat in primary care. Uh, and not refer people who who you know don't need a specialist opinion to memory clinics. Once we do establish a diagnosis of dementia, what treatments are available, both drug and non-drug? Well, it, it, unfortunately, we do not have a cure as yet for dementia, but we do have some disease-modifying drugs. 
which have certainly been shown through research testing to be effective in, in delaying the the rate, the speed at which uh, a person's symptoms uh, deteriorate. These drugs, the acetylcholinesterase inhibitors, were initially, in this country, certainly just used for people with Alzheimer's disease. That, that was what the evidence showed. But they are now also being given to people with mixed dementias. And they certainly appear to slow the rate at which memory and communication problems deteriorate. They seem to improve people's quality of life uh, and certainly help, uh, and certainly have been shown to be cost, a cost-effective treatment. Evidence is less strong for non-drug treatments, but um, this is certainly a very exciting area of dementia research, uh, and research in this area is increasing, and we're seeing some promising results from some non-drug approaches, such as cognitive stimulation therapy and reminiscence therapy, which also appear to um, help slow down the, the, the speed at which people's uh, symptoms deteriorate. What avenues of support are there for GPs and other health professionals to guide people with dementia down? I know that um, there are self-help groups and, and patient support groups, but I just wonder if you could give us some tips as primary care workers as to how we might help to support patients in the longer run. Yes. Um, in in 2007, the National Audit uh, on Dementia Care um, actually surveyed a, a quite a significant number of GPs, and it was it was quite depressing to see that the majority consensus uh, regarding the treatment of dementia was that nothing useful could be done, and therefore there was little point in in making a, a formal diagnosis. Um, and that's that's very sad, really, because we don't have that we don't have that attitude as professionals towards diabetes or towards asthma, or, or towards other equally potentially distressing and debilitating illnesses. So I think it's about trying, what I'm trying to do with this article is, is dispel that myth, is to change people's hearts and minds, especially GPs and, and generalist doctors, to have a more positive attitude to helping people live better lives with dementia. Certainly, um, informing people with dementia and their families about the illness, about, um, about the fact they can have access to treatments that may help and prevent their deterioration, that there are organisations like the Alzheimer's Society that provide lots of information and advice and often practical support through um, carer support groups, uh, practical day centres, um, also around information about um, financial benefits Assistive technology is um, an often ignored area. There are a, a, a range, a wide range of devices that have been developed to help people with dementia in terms of memory prompts to take medication, uh, to orientate them, such as specially designed clocks, uh, and also various um, leisure and safety activities, for example, preventing them leaving the bathroom taps on and preventing the bathroom flooding that um, are not routinely provided to families. Uh, and I think that's one of the things we wanted to achieve with this article, that there should be a certain package of information and support that people with dementia and their families receive, um, whether they're living in the north or the south of England and whichever general practice they, they visit, um, that would ensure that they got the same, 
the same package of information regardless of where they were. Great. And finally, let's talk a bit about forward planning. You mentioned that it's important to discuss aspects of end of life care and wishes early on. Do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, I think it's it's important to try and have these discussions um, early on in the illness. Um, some people are very keen once they receive a diagnosis to talk about this straight away. And for others, it takes a while to come to terms with the knowledge that they have this illness. And it's about trying to judge when people feel comfortable to talk about the future and, and what it might entail. But I think the key thing is that if they already know they're having difficulty remembering to do things, that it's important to to illustrate to them that that might also affect their financial affairs in terms of, of having someone in a position who's actually able to, to make the decision for them uh, or, or to sign things for them if they're not able to. And usually people and families can see the importance of doing this. So um, informing them about uh, things like a power of attorney um, early on in the illness, even if they don't feel ready to actually undertake that step themselves, but just ensuring that they know about it and, and why they might need it and what the importance of it would be. And also, if they didn't do it, what the consequences might be, um, I think is a very important part uh, of the uh, advice. What needs of carers should GPs be aware of? I think the first thing that the GP needs to be aware of is that certainly if, um, if the person with dementia's main carer is their husband or wife, then there's a, a big chance that that person, um, the spouse, may be the GP's patient too. And that puts the, the GP and their practice in a unique position in being responsible for caring for both the person with dementia and their main carer. Um, the the person's main carer may not perceive themselves to be in a caring role. They will just think, you know, I'm the husband, I'm my wife, I'm the wife, I, you know, my marriage vows signed me up to this deal, I'm going to care for my loved one throughout this. But it's really important to ensure that their physical and mental health is, is looked after too and, and to to alert them to the fact that this is going this could be a very stressful um, period for them and that their physical and mental health may be challenged. It, it may not, but it may be. And it, you're there to listen to how they're feeling. You're, you're there to see them as an individual separate to the person with dementia. And I always try and encourage if they're my patients to say, look, you come and see me individually. You don't have to just come when you bring your husband. Come and talk to me. And it's good to let off steam. It's good to for me to hear what your needs are and for me to address your needs separately uh, from your husband. And at this point, if you want to hear more about what you need to bear in mind when talking to a carer and how they're coping with their new role, listen to part two of the podcast where I'll talk to Sue, whose mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Thanks to Louise Robinson for taking us through diagnosis and management. The clinical review, Dementia, Timely Diagnosis and Early Intervention is now available on thebmj.com.